As we bless us now as we go to your word, Lord, I pray that you would um, just speak through my words. Help me to be clear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so Philippians chapter 4 is where we're at, the letter of Philippians that Paul wrote in jail to the church in Philippi. And we're in chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 13. Before I read these verses, though, I just want to start you thinking about something. Um, Which is easier, do you think, to be rich or to be poor? Is it easier to have more money or less money? Think about the pros of having money. You can pay for all your health needs. You can give your kids a great education. You can buy almost anything material that you want if you have enough money. You can even experience the joy of giving lots of money away. It can be fun to give away money, especially when you have a lot of it, right? Having money can make life really simple, right? I mean, you ask 100 people on the street if they could use more money, how many of them do you think would say, yeah? Probably everyone. And if they didn't, they're weird. (laughs) (laughs) They might be a Christian. If you ask people if money would solve some of their problems, they'd probably say yes. But the reality is, it's actually really hard to be rich. It turns out money can be really rough on the human soul over time. When you have money, extra money, I define extra, when all your needs, your real needs are met, like food and water, and you have money on top of that shelter, um, you tend to give every desire the okay. Spending on our pleasure can get addicting. I want it, I buy it. I want it, I buy it. I want it, I buy it. And when I buy it, that I use it for a little while, and then it doesn't satisfy me quite like it did, and it wasn't exactly what I wanted, so then I get something else. We quickly, if we have money, get used to saying yes to our desires, and then we spend what we have, and if we run out, our country, yay America, has made it very easy to... Keep spending beyond what you have, right? Because you can get these nice things called credit cards that make lots of money on out-of-control desire, okay? They, they, heart, they tap into that. Oh, you don't have the money now, but you will in the future. And uh, they, they hook us, right? And, and we get in this habit of, of spending more, and it's so easy to do and to justify, you know? And then sometimes we put ourselves in a position then where we really... Um, become dependent on those things. Now, think about it. Uh, Do we spend more of our money when we have it at the beginning of the month, when we're feeling rich? Or do we deny our desires and wait to the end of the month after we get the second paycheck to make sure that we don't need it? I know that in our family fund, we've got uh, a family eating out budget. It's not much, I don't know, $20 or something, $30 at the beginning. But it's so tempting to use that at the beginning of the month. Well, what if we want to do something as a family at the end of the month that we didn't know about? Oh, we'll find a way. We'll fit it in somewhere. We'll slide money over. 
okay, my temptation too is I feel rich, so I spend on my desires. I feel like, oh, there's the paycheck, the money's in the account, let's spend it. How about tax returns? Oh, boy. Blow it all! And then at the end of the year, we're like, oh, dang. Okay? When we feel rich, we tend to give every desire the okay. The people who win the lottery, 50% of them are broke after the first five years. I mean, they just got millions and millions and millions of dollars. You can Google this. That's what I did. Like 48% or something are broke after the first five years. Many of them say money actually made things worse for me. I lost 90% of my friends. Why? Well, I had money and they wanted some and I didn't want to give them some. Or I gave them some, but it wasn't enough. Or I gave them some to wreck their life too. You know, everybody wants to be your friend when you've got the nice car and you've got money, right? And so it, it, it actually isn't easier. But on a spiritual level, it actually makes it easier to forget God when we have a lot of money in the bank because we don't need to trust him for our daily bread. We can trust our savings. So trusting the Lord gets hard when we're rich. But you know what? Being poor has a lot of challenges as well, especially extreme poverty. The temptation to steal can be stronger. The temptation to uh, have this victim mentality towards others. And, and you know, I'm just a, a victim of the system. It's not my fault. Or, or, or to, to have envy towards those who have it all. Well, it's... You know, they're just, a, they have money and, you know, just kind of view people with money negatively as if having money is evil in and of itself and makes them a bad person just because they have more than you. I mean, we can start to look down on people that way. Um, suffering, just from a practical standpoint, suffering for the poor can be greater. Just look at the countries where, third world countries and the suffering and the, the, the lack of access to, to health care, good health care. If the lie for those who have money is that they don't need God, the temptation to believe that lie, the, the temptation or the danger for, the, for those who are poor is that God isn't good. He didn't give me enough. He didn't give me what I needed. My child died. If only I'd had the money for the hospital bill or, you know, I could take them where they needed to get help. So uh, there's challenges to being poor as well. Being rich can be hard, but the, the opposite solution isn't being poor. And both poverty and riches have unique challenges for Christians who want to honor the Lord. All right? And so that's where we come now to our passage, where we see that the Apostle Paul has learned what he calls the secret of for honoring God in times when he had lots, where he was rich, and in times where he was lacking possessions. That's not because Paul's story is like a rags-to-riches story. You know the type of story I'm talking about? Once I was poor, but then God just poured out his blessings on me and I'm rich. Or the other version, I hauled myself up by my bootstraps and I worked really hard and I became rich. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Um, he's, he's not saying he has experienced both situations and now he's rich, or he was rich and now he's poor. He's saying, no, God has brought me through both. 
at multiple times in my life, and I have gone through it and learned the secret of how to honor God in plenty and in want. So I'm going to read now Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Paul writes this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern, literally your thinking for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you, know, you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So this morning, we're going to look at two main things from these verses. First, we're going to look at the reason for Paul's joy. Why is he happy here? I'll tell you in advance. The reason is because the Philippians are thinking like Jesus. They're thinking about someone else. They're thinking about Paul. Second, we're going to look at the secret of Paul's contentment. So the reason for Paul's joy and the secret for Paul's contentment. And I'm not going to tell you the secret yet. We'll keep it secret till the end. So the reason for Paul's joy. The Philippians are thinking like Jesus. I'll read verse 10 again. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, if you remember anything about the letter of Philippians from as we've been working through, I hope you remember that the letter talks about two things a lot. It talks about joy and it talks about how Christians need to think, the mindset of Christians. And in this verse, verse 10, both of these key themes, these topics, show up, which you would expect near the end of a letter, right? At the end of a letter or a book, in the conclusion, you kind of tend to bring all your themes together in the big wrap-up. And here, joy and thinking come together. The word for concern in verse 10, again, is literally thinking. I'm glad you're thinking about me. They're thinking about Paul. And at last... And now he's rejoicing in the Lord. Now, how can Paul say they're thinking about him? Well, remember, he's in Roman prison, and they live very far away in Philippi. They've sent him a gift. We're going to read more about it next week in verses um, 14 to the end. But they've sent him a gift of money. And Epaphroditus has brought him this gift. And Epaphroditus, we learn in chapter 2, ended up staying with Paul for a while. You can go back and read about it when you get home if you'd like. But I want to read uh, what Paul says in verse 10 again. He says, I rejoice that now, at last, you renewed or you revived your thinking about me. Now, if you just read that, now at last... You've revived your thinking about me. It could kind of come off a little bad. You think, 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 think about this. Uh, why did it take so long? Finally, you helped me. I'm languishing in prison. Finally, at last, you sent me my money. Finally, you got around to it. Well, that's not what Paul was saying. Uh, and, and, and so he clarifies. See that in verse 10? See how he 
you can do this with a letter. <laughs> he clarifies what he's saying. Indeed, you were concerned about me. You were thinking about me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Why couldn't they show it? Well, they couldn't text him. They couldn't email him. They were far away. So they finally, they had no opportunity, but then they sent Epaphroditus and they showed it. And it's a very practical way of showing their love. They gave him a gift. And Paul is rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? Is it because he really needed their gift? Finally, my needs are met. I can get food, clothes. I can get a video game system for this boring jail cell. No, obviously not. Um, We'll look in a second at what Paul says. But like I indicated before, if you've been tracking along with the letter, you know why Paul is rejoicing. The Philippians are thinking like Jesus. Look at Philippians 2 with me. Just flip a page back if you've got your Bible open, which I always encourage you. If you can, if you're able to hold the Bible up, have it open. Look back at Philippians 2. We're going to look at verses 3 to 5. Paul writes this. He says, Do nothing, verse 3, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset, the same way of thinking as Jesus. And Paul's going to go on to describe Jesus' mindset in the verses that follow. Jesus, though he was the highest, though he was the greatest being in the universe, became the lowest and died on the cross for the Philippians and for the whole world. Jesus had the mindset of a servant. Jesus considered others' interests above his own. And so all throughout this letter, Paul has actually been giving example after example of this kind of thinking. People who thought like Jesus, who thought about others. He gives himself in the first chapter as someone who's concerned for the welfare of the Philippians. He gives Timothy as someone who's genuinely concerned for their welfare in chapter 2 near the end. He, He talks about Epaphroditus as being really concerned about the Philippians, thinking about them. Even when he's dying, he's sick. Epaphroditus was very sick, but he was thinking, concerned about the Philippians. And Paul gives Jesus as an example of that kind of servant-like thinking. And here in this passage, he gives his final example. You want to know how to think like a Christian? You're doing it, he says. You're thinking about me. You, I'm, so, I'm rejoicing because you are thinking like Jesus. You're thinking sacrificially. I'm so glad that Jesus is working on your heart, making you think like Jesus. That's what he's saying here. And there's a reason he's bringing this up. If you look back at Philippians 4, verses 2 and 3, they're having a problem in this church. Two ladies can't get along. And he's pleading with these ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, please, ladies, Jesus doesn't care what color the bathroom is. Right? I don't know what they're arguing about. We don't know. But he's saying, agree in the Lord. Literally, have the same thinking, the same mind in the Lord. You can, you can be thinking about me miles and miles away in jail, 
Can you think about each other? Churches face this a lot, actually. We go on missions trips, and we think about others in Africa, and then we come home and we're too lazy to serve our family or our wife right, or our church. We fight about silly things. But boy, we want to go and do missions across the world. All right, so Paul is actually very, by the Holy Spirit's help, creatively using themselves as an example. You know how to do this. You know how to think about others. Now, do it in your church. Do it in your church. And he's rejoicing because Jesus is at work. Not that he needed the gift, he says, or that he was super pumped to have his need met. He really didn't need the gift. That's what we're going to see here. Uh, saying thank you to somebody can be a bit complicated at times. Maybe you can relate to this. Especially if they gave you something you didn't really need. You ever been given something you didn't need? <coughs> How do you say thank you? You want to give them a thank you that's genuine, but you don't want to do it in a way that makes them think you want more. Thank you for this food I can't stand. <laughs> but don't give me any more, please. I, or thank you for the sugar, but I'm not, you know, eating cookies or something, you know, like co cookies, right? So um, when we were, uh, trying to think, lost my place. Sorry about that. Cookies, yeah. So Holly and I, are off of uh, off of Lent, off of uh, sweets, right? For Lent, and uh, and so we are. There was these cookies on top of the uh, the refrigerator, and every time I'm giving these cookies to the kids, right? It's so hard. Uh, they're so thankful, but uh, we're we're trying to avoid the the uh, the sweets. So anyhow, I don't. I got lost. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I know. Good night. Okay. So, what we see in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul's explaining why he didn't need the gift, right? And in verses 14 to 20, which we'll look at next week, Paul's explaining why he's so glad that they did give the gift anyway. Ultimately, it's because they'll, give, they, they'll get the experience, the joy of giving. Now, let's look at point two this morning, where we'll see the reason that Paul says he didn't need the gift. The secret for Paul's contentment. So I'll start reading verses 11 to 13 now. Paul says this. Verse 11. I am not saying this, saying that he rejoices about their gift, because I'm in need, or because I'm lacking anything. Why? Why does he say that, he explains? For I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need. Literally, he says, I know what it is to be in humble circumstances. Humble circumstances. I know what it is to be really humble. And I know what it is to have plenty or to abound. I have learned the secret 
of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So, in Paul's life as a missionary, he's been through all sorts of different experiences and situations. He's been in situations where his hands are full of God's good gifts. And he's been in situations where his hands are almost empty, with just enough for him to live and do what God is calling him to do. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there's been times in your life where you feel like you've had abundantly more than you really even needed, or at least more than you have now. But then there were other times where you felt like you barely had the essentials. All right? Paul's saying he's experienced both. Bible teacher Don Carson, he writes this. He says, the secret of contentment, he says, is not normally learned in posh circumstances only or in deprived circumstances only, but in exposure to both. You understand that? You're not going to learn the secret of contentment if you're only rich, that you have plenty, or if you're only poor, but if you've had exposure to both. And Paul, he has had exposure to both. So in both circumstances, he's learned the secret of staying content. Now, the word that Paul uses for secret here is kind of an interesting word. Um, for those who are uh, in the mis- the mis- or have had experience with kind of cults, like uh, Masonic temple, um, they, they have some cultish things that they do. And um, the, 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 the closer you get to the uh, inner circle, you learn some secrets that you're not able to tell the public. And this was very common in Paul's day, mystery religions, mysterious religions. And the closer you got to the inner circle, you learned the secrets of the religion. You couldn't tell anybody. What's the secret? Well, you got to join to know. Oh, so here Paul says, I've got the secret. And everybody's like, whoa, we must be on the inside. Like, we're going to know the secret. And Paul shares it. It's not really a secret. It's, it's a secret that everyone can know, a public secret. Here it is. I can do all things, verse 13, through him who gives me strength. So the secret to contentment to feeling that you have enough with your hands full or empty is the conviction that if you have Jesus, then you have enough, no matter what. If you have Jesus, that's enough. Now, do any of you have a translation of verse 13 that says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's not a bad translation, okay? It's actually a really accurate wording of the text. Does any of you have that? A little bit different than NIV? I can do all things. Yeah. The danger of translating the verse that way is that people think it means Jesus can help them achieve anything they want. Maybe you've seen this, like a bumper sticker. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, A sports player might claim that as their motto. If they're Christian, they're like, I can score goals because Jesus is helping me. I can hit a home run through him who gives me strength. Because Jesus says, 
If he strengthens me, I can do all things. It's really important that we read this verse, or any verse in the Bible, in context. In other words, read the verses before it, read the verses around it. Paul isn't saying that Jesus' strength makes him Superman and gives him the ability to do whatever he wants. It's not what Paul's saying. If you, um, the, the latest NIV translation, or at least the one that I had on my computer, um, it reads this. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So if you have the NIV, uh, the latest one, I can do all this. That kind of helps us see what's going on here. Even though all things might be actually more of a literal translation, which, again, it's a fine translation. You've got to understand in context. NIV makes it clear what Paul's not saying. He's not saying, the sky's the limit if you have Jesus. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What's the this? It's the circumstances that Paul's talking about in context. It's not achieving his dreams, but it's being content whatever circumstances God puts him in. In other words, he can do all that God assigns for him and face every situation that God puts him in with the help of the secret. He can do poor. He can do being rich. He can do being hungry, and he can do being full. He can do all this through the strength of the Lord. The secret is Paul's contentment. The very power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead is available to the Apostle Paul. Paul talked about that power back in Philippians 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. His resurrection power. And the, Paul believed the more suffering and the more hardship he faces, the more he experiences God's power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul experiences that. The closer and closer he comes to his own death. And the more Paul experiences plenty, he experiences the, a taste of all that God is for him in Christ, both now and forever. And this contentedness, this secret... It had to be learned. Do you notice that? I have learned the secret. How did he learn it? Did somebody just tell it to him? No. He learned it by going through those things and discovering for himself God was enough. That God's strength was sufficient for everything he called Paul to go through. And so Paul was able to be content no matter what. Because, no matter what, Jesus and Jesus' power was with him. Our song of the month, last month, one of the phrases in there said, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. And it ends, it says, when my, um, basically it says, not through I, but through Christ in me. When my strength is the Lord Jesus. He gives me the strength to do all these things. Paul doesn't say, I've got whatever life throws at me. You know, sometimes you see people talking very confidently, maybe on Facebook or social media, like, I got this life, you know, I can do it. Paul doesn't say that. He says, I can through Christ who gives me strength. So let's close now with some specific applications. First, 
I want you to notice how Paul models how to receive gifts. Gifts that we don't need to survive. He receives the gift with joy. Not just joy in the gift, but joy that the Philippians were thinking of him. Just like the Lord Jesus thought of Paul and endured the cross for the Apostle Paul, the Philippians endured the loss of quite a bit of money, it seems like, because, like Jesus, they were putting Paul's interests above their own. And in that, Paul rejoices. He doesn't reject the gift. He doesn't scold them for giving it. He receives it. Though he's careful to let them know he would have been content without it. He certainly doesn't need more. Now, there's a lot more to be said about gift-giving and receiving, and we'll talk about some of that next week. Um, but I'll leave some of that... Um, yeah, I'll leave some of that for next week. But I, I, I don't want you to be thinking here, well, Paul receives a gift that he didn't need. Is it bad to reject gifts? Well, sometimes gifts are given to manipulate you, right? Like somebody pulls up in a van with lollipops for the kids. <laughs> hey, kids, you want some lollipops? Like, well, that's uh, probably not a gift the kids should take, right? You can reject some gifts. Um, sometimes the biggest givers in a church give a lot of money, and then they try to use their giving to control the leadership of the church. Well, if you go that direction, you can count my support out, right? This happens all the time, sadly, behind the scenes. Praise God, it has never happened in any church I've been a part of that I know, know of, but I know it happens. I've read about it, heard friends say. And so if that's going on, it might be wise to turn down a gift. No, our church doesn't need that. Thank you. Um, that's not the type of giving Paul's talking about here. Uh, here, Paul models for us how to accept a gift, specifically from other Christians, whether you need it or not, with joy, because it's given from people whose minds are thinking, or at least who are learning to think like Jesus. And when Jesus wins in someone's heart, we rejoice. Just like Paul. And then the second thing I want to close with this application. Paul models contentment no matter what. Paul knows the secret to contentment in whatever circumstance he's in. And the, the secret is the strength of Jesus. That's true for all of us here at New Creation Church, just like it was for the Philippians. There's, we are all, all of us are so different in our situations, our living situations, different house sizes. Some of us rent, some of us own homes, some of us drive newer cars, some of us have a car that passed inspection last week by the skin of its teeth, and we're really celebrating because we're trying to limp it along for the next year. Um, our sources of income are all very different. The amounts are different. But Paul's words today for us are very simple. He says, I've experienced a lot of these type of situations. 
and through all of them, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He can help me, says Paul, when my hands are full, to be content, to hold it with open hands, to be generous with what I have, to not be afraid of losing it, to take it as a gift, share it as a gift, and to love. And he can be content with his hands are next to empty, trusting that for that day, it's enough. God is enough. Jesus is enough. Paul, I want to close with these words from him in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response was this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because of the strength of Christ in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that when we are weak, we can be strong in Christ. Father, I thank you so much that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. And I thank you that in times of joy, Lord, we can use those times as springboards of gratitude and thanksgiving to you the giver of all good things. Father, I pray that you would uh, teach us the secret of contentment in all circumstances. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.